Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to our Summer of Saul series hosted by the Life to the Full podcast, aka the Y Superstars community. Here we are, 6.30. We only have a few more of these things to go. Uh, waiting for my crew, uh, some my fearless friends who will be showing up soon so we can get this party started. Started. Still waiting for my peeps. Hopefully, they are coming soon. Uh, all right, we are about ready to start getting into this. So we have a lot of fun stuff that we're going to be doing. We'll we'll do uh, our intro while we're waiting for some people to come. Uh, if you're just joining us, if you're just finding us, welcome, welcome. We are at the tail end of our summer of scripture. We've been doing a summer of Saul or a summer of Rabbi Shaul, uh, the otherwise known as the Apostle Paul to many. It's been uh, it's been quite a journey. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun uh, getting to do this together. I'm excited to have all of you. I know some of you guys have not been on the StreamYard classroom, but you have been uh, you know following along on your own. This is our Sunday seminar. Again, we are soon to be wrapping this up where we talk about various topics around Paul, um, just, you know, understanding Paul a little bit better, getting to be a good, friendly neighbor to him, learning about him in context, and getting to know, you know, everything that we're doing. Um, We are also reading a few books together. Uh, We have read, we're in the process of finishing up, we'll be done soon. We've already done, so you've been following along with us. You have already done with us uh, Paul, a biography uh, by N.T. Wright. Uh, We're in the process of reading How God Became King, again, by N.T. Wright. It's kind of an N.T. Wright summer. Uh, And the commentary that we recommend is uh, Paul for Everyone, Paul in the Prison Letters, which has been a lot of fun to do together. Uh, so I have one of my friends here. I have Andre. Hey, Andre, what's up? Looks like you're in a car. Where are we going? Hey, um, <laughs> I'm just sitting. Well, I'm I'm actually like just sitting in a parking lot uh, where a Starbucks is. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you're making me jelly. I could really go for a, a pumpkin spice latte right now. Kind of starting to feel like fall. Yeah. Oh, that would be, <laughs> yeah. Is that what you have? Yeah, I got the. Uh, well, now I got the, the, the pumpkin cream cold brew. Ah, pumpkin cream cold brew. Okay. 
Okay, pumpkin as a cold brew. Is it, is it good? I, obviously, if you're drinking it, it's probably good. Um, I mean, I guess it's not bad. I don't know. I feel like it. I wish it had like more pumpkin flavor to it, but gotcha. like it had a little bit more like pumpkin sweetness to it. Mm. But um, yeah, it's not bad. I feel like if you got like the latte, that probably I don't know. Maybe that might have more flavor. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, pumpkin spice, man. I love that stuff. It does get a little bit too sweet. I can't have it like every time I go. Uh, but yeah, I found it a cool trick. I just get a regular coffee and I ask for the the pumpkin syrup. Mm, then, yeah. You know, instead of it being like a twenty buck cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have went, I have went to Dunkin' Donuts and got like iced coffee with the pumpkin uh, in it. So that that was pretty tasty. So. Oh, nice. yeah. Dude, that sounds that sounds really good. It sounds really good. So your day's been going good. Everything's been going fine. Yep. Um, yeah, it's been. I guess it's been a pretty, yeah, simple day. I mean, I didn't have to go to work or anything. So nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I see your camera's on. It's awesome. Haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. <laughs> It's all good. I never know where you guys are when what's going on. Who knows what could be happening behind you? <laughs> you know, you know. We still work in the schools, and uh, some we've we've done a few online programs in 2020. Mm-hmm. In schools in New York, like you don't, you can't tell them to turn on their cameras. And I, I just like I understand uh, that's the rule, but for yeah. me, I'm like, turn your cameras, people. Where are you? I, I need to like see, yeah. like you know, like if I'm doing something, it's like. You know, my wife does it. She has most of the cameras off when, when she does it, uh, and she's good. Daniel Makoko in the chat is saying, "Drink tea, people." He is the original hater out there, Daniel Daniel Makoko. <laughs> tea, <laughs> who tea? What are we British? <laughs> Trying to egg on Daniel a little bit there. You've never met Daniel Makoko, have you, Andre? I don't think so. No, uh, I think I think you guys would get along. I think you guys would get along. So cool. All right, let's uh let's start. Let's keep, continue with the intro stuff. He says yes. <laughs> uh, Mr. Makoku. Oh man. All right. So we're still waiting for Nick and Dave. Oh, the only person I know is not coming is is Mr. Dwight, who's still suffering with the COVID plague, uh, who's being taken care of by his his wonderful his wonderful wife. So we've been doing some scripture journaling. Did you get your scripture journal, Andre? Are you interested in doing anything like this? Have you seen these? Uh, I do not have one. Yeah, they're pretty cool. You know, th- this is the first time I've gotten my hands on it. I mean, there's something I wish I had it actually in a, in a new American standard. That's kind of like my favorite favorite. But the ESV, ESV is my close second. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty fun. and get to scratch it up, make some notes, do a bunch of cool stuff with that. Uh, if you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, we always appreciate it. Uh, if, you know, our First tier, really the only tier we have right now is $30 a month, which is kind of, if you think about it, less than a dollar a day on most months can help us to do more of this stuff because we do have some production costs and all that fun stuff. So we are on Ephesians part six. And again, when I first conceived of this class, Andre, I really thought that we would be in chapter six. Oh man, we are we are crawling through this letter, but I'm hoping I'm hoping to finish it. We have uh, this one and one more, so I'm hoping to finish finish Ephesians, get us out of Ephesians. 
And just to, to recap, remember uh, the book of Ephesians is, you know, basically an apoc- apocalypse. It's Paul wanting us to understand the apocalypse. Apocalypse like an unveiling, unrevealing. You get to see what's going on. And then we get to respond to it as well. We're kind of finishing up our macro of Ephesians 1 through 3, where we get to comprehend the apocalypse. Remember, it's kind of like praise, prayer, narrative. Then we have the culmination of Jesus in the center. And then as we we move away from Jesus being in the center, we have some, you know, we kind of follow uh, the same order on the way out, which is kind of, which is kind of cool. Chiastic structure, which is always fun. We got our two-aged diagram, which is always, uh, it's a good thing to understand. This would be the worldview that Paul would have in his mind and his apocalypse is that these are now uh, in the Jewish mindset, they would have thought there would have been this age and then it would have been the age to come. And when the age to come came, it would have happened in an instant. There'd be the day of the Lord. There'd be a reckoning and one would end. And then one would begin. Part of Paul's apocalypse is that somehow a piece of the new age, the age to come had kind of invaded this age or his present and he was kind of living in the now and the not yet. He was living in the the aftermath of the resurrected Jesus and waiting Jesus's return. And we kind of see this age or now is characterized by evil, sin, death, slavery, violence, and a curse. Uh, while the age to come would be characterized by justice, love, life, freedom, shalom, or rest, and blessing. So it's exciting stuff. We get to live into that reality today until Jesus comes and makes all things new. Again, Paul's Paul had the whole kit and caboodle in his head. He had the whole story in his head as he as he did all this, all, as he was thinking through this stuff. He didn't have in his head when he was writing these letters what we usually assume Paul's worldview, which is kind of a simplified, there's me on earth with everyone else. We're a bunch of sinners. Uh, we're either going to go to heaven, we're going to go to hell. Uh, it depends on what we believe, what church we're a part of, or what story we tell ourselves when we read the Bible, uh, Jesus died for our sins. So now we get to choose to go to heaven or hell. Uh, so today's plan, if we can, if we can get through it, we have Jesus in the center. So we're going to hit Jesus, not going to hit him. We're going to like talk about Jesus. Jesus is in the center of the chiasm. That is chapters one through three. We're going to try and get our way out of the whole thing. We're going to do chapters, uh, we're going to talk about the end. We're going to go through chapter three. Sorry, all of it. Uh, we're going to talk about the macro structure of four to six, and then we'll do chapter four verses one through 16, which is uh, unity, not uniformity, which is always important for us to remember uh, as we go through this stuff together, which is, which is good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Today's plan. And here is the structure of verses of chapters four through six. Uh, again, uh, this was provided to us by the Bible Project. This is uh, I got a lot of this material from a class I took with them, um, so it's a lot of fun here uh, just to go in and see the chiastic structure that we'll be looking at in chapter four to six. More of like a bookend structure than kind of like what we were looking at with chapters one through three, but still nice and fun. All right. So we want to remember, uh, again, one through three, comprehending the apocalypse, four through, th- four through six, responding to the apocalypse. We want to recall that chiastic structure, right? Prayer song, narrative, Jesus, narrative song, prayer, right? We've already covered the prayer song and the two narratives. Uh, 
But independently, the second narrative, okay, remember the narrative was kind of broken up into two narratives. There's one big cosmic narrative, uh, all of the story of all of humanity uh, in Ephesians, and then it kind of switched into the covenant people of God, and now Gentiles are included. Independently, the second narrative, the, focusing on the covenant people of God, and Jesus in the center, they actually form another chiastic structure, which is ha- kind of has like a very interesting form. And that form kind of goes A, B, C, and it goes D, 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 C, B, A. We looked at this a little bit last week. This is kind of what we were looking at last week where we can kind of see the chiastic structure all there. But still that last B prime and A prime, right, the Jesus in the center, uh, that's still the center of chapters one through three. It kind of makes the end of this chiastic structure that kind of goes from the covenant people of God, the Gentiles getting included, and then Jesus, and we talked about the hostility that died on the cross last week and how that, that was very interesting to us. We had a really cool discussion when we, when we did all that together. So Jesus in the center, if you think about it, it kind of makes a really interesting structure. Now, this is kind of like something I noticed on my own. I'm not really sure. I'm sure other people have done work on this. Um, I think chiastic structures, are they're very, very useful in terms of when we're trying to figure out Okay, this was obviously put together in some way. This was there was an intelligent design behind this. People were trying to figure out how to put this all together. And when they put this all together, I feel like it's useful to see, okay, how, how did it all go? How did they fit this here? And it does inform, I think, some of the meaning that the original authors intended us to get out of it. But I also think it could have just been, you know, also a very, really good uh, memory device because you kind of know you got to hit these points. It kind of breaks something big that you'd have to memorize into, you know, digestible parts, even thinking about, you know, all of Genesis, right? There's a lot of things that happen in Genesis where it kind of repeats. So if you're going to put all that stuff into your memory, right, there's something there that, uh, you know, it would, it would help you to memorize what was going on. And so here I kind of put a circle here. We have D in the center, the she's in the center. We have the tail end of the second narrative. It kind of branches off and then it kind of makes its own chiastic structure. I put it up there to the, to the right. So you can kind of see it. And that goes like ABC, the DDD. We have the law of the commandments, uh, the, the Torah of the commandments and decrees, that hostility that died of Jesus on the cross and kind of put an end to the hostility. And then you see Jesus at the end in B prime, A prime. And it just made me, I just thought this was like a really cool structure. I really don't know if there's anything to it. It almost looks like to me, like maybe two mountain peaks, like you get to the top of a mountain, right? Where you would go to have an experience of God or meet with God. And there's almost like there's another little mountain peak, or you could even think of it as you're going up to the mountain and at a certain point it levels up. It almost to me looks like a temple, I don't know if there's if there's something there. If other people have done work on it, but to me, it's kind of helped me as I've I've created these lessons to kind of inform. Okay, where are we in this whole structure? Especially when you consider the center, uh, which you know is Jesus, is very heavy on this idea of the new temple, right? So we can even go back and we can look at it, right? <laughs> and I'll do that now on my bigger screen over here, so I can actually read it with you guys and or if you just go to my handy handy dandy thing right here oh here we go okay in verse 19 so then you are no longer strangers or aliens 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And remember, saints there should be translated holy ones and members in the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So some quick observations that we have here, right? I'll get to, okay. So we have this in the center again. We've talked about this, you know, many, 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 many seminars ago, it feels like now, about how this this would be strange. You tend to put the most important things in the center. Obviously, Jesus is in the center. And, you know, I think most modern Christians would expect, okay, this is where we're going to hear about how Jesus forgave my sins. And, you know, I don't have to go to the bad place anymore. I get to go to the good place. But instead, right, in the center of this, kind of in the center of Paul's brain when he's constructing this story, is this idea of a new temple, right? And this idea in the New Testament of Jesus' followers being the new temple. Like there's just some, there's something going on, right? This was the long promised hope of Israel in the scriptures that the new temple was going to come, right? When we think about Paul's worldview, we took, we looked at the big map of the history of Israel, all the things that Paul had in his brain, what they were all waiting for. And what many Jews today are still waiting for is the new temple. When is the temple going to come? When you, especially when you start getting out of the major prophets like Ezekiel, right? The back end of Ezekiel is all about that new temple. And the authors of the New Testament resonate with this, right? Paul talks about this a lot in his letters. It's hard not to trip over it um, once you know where to look for it. You can you know, go right to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's right there. Chapter 6, right? Ephesians 19, 22, which we, which we just looked at. Uh, and 1 Peter, this is an idea that Peter had as well. Like there's something going on here with this idea of a new temple. Uh, but the other thing that, that's interesting, if you notice, is that this temple also seems to be growing, which, you know, most buildings that I've ever met, well, let's say all buildings that I've ever encountered, they, they don't tend to grow, right? When you build them, they don't, they don't tend to, to grow up. So as we'll see later, as we get more into, into the story, uh, that, you know, Paul is actually keying in here too, to a lot of themes, um, you know, and this, this is more apparent once you get to know uh, the Old Testament better or the Hebrew scriptures better, that the temple is intimately linked with the garden, right? Even the way the temple and the tabernacle were decorated, they were decorated with pomegranates and fruit trees, right? This is, this is something that it's supposed to invoke some type of sacred garden-like atmosphere, recalling back to Genesis, you know, one to two, all the things that we, we had lost. So this idea of, of this temple garden setting, and, you know, it's kind of cued in here when Paul talks about, you know, growing. This is something that's going to be growing like, like a plant. Reminds us of Psalm 1, right? A tree planted by streams of water. Water flowing out of the door of the temple at the back end of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, 1 to 2. It kind of change, start, begins to change everything, right? The healing of the nations. Again, Ezekiel 47, 12. Uh, and this is also cued in in the book of Revelation. So this is something that the New Testament authors were aware of as well. And I have two quotes here. I think they're very important for us to just look at for a second. 
Ezekiel 47, verse 12, along both banks of the river, fruit trees of all kinds will grow. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. Each month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for healing. And then you fast forward. You go to the book of Revelation, the end of the New Testament scriptures, and you have the, the city coming down from heaven, right? The restoration of all things. And in describing the city, uh, down the main street of the city, this is Revelation 22, verse 2, on either side of the river, so there's this water flowing through the city, stood a tree of life, just like the fruit trees from Ezekiel, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding a fresh crop for each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So it's kind of like similar language here. We're looking at the same type of thing here. Uh, you know, the old and the new or the Hebrew scriptures at the first century Jewish writings, which we would come to be called uh, the New Testament. They're kind of saying the same thing here, right? They're both looking towards this, this thing that will come, this great temple, right? that is going to be filled with the spirit of God. And it's going to, it's going to produce these things, the healing of the nations. And I kind of highlighted in colors for you guys, some of the key terms that should kind of cue you in that these authors are very, very much aware of each other. So that's the center and the center of chapters one through three of that first chiasm of comprehending that apocalypse, the apocalypse being Jesus has come right? Everything's different now. That wall of hostility has been shattered. Uh, and there's this new opportunity. There's this new way of living. That's, you know, this new people of God, uh, you know, Jew and Gentile together, this new humanity that somehow when they come together, all these different groups in harmony, they produce a new temple. They produce this garden ideal like se setting that kind of changes everything. I have a few discussion questions for us. So you can be thinking about this as well. If you're following along on the Facebook, please uh, feel free to jive in. Love to hear your comments. Uh, the first question is, what is the significance of this idea of the new humanity being a new temple? Is that something that you struggle with, with feeling why that's a big deal? Or is it something that resonates with you? Uh, just want to hear your thoughts. What do you think, Andre? Significant. Um, so, so the question is, is what do you think the significance so, is of uh, this idea of new the new humanity being a new temple? Hmm. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess I would say yeah, I guess well, I guess that would be like well, I guess like if the temple right, like if the temple is like a, if it is like supposed to be like this Eden <laughs> Alright, I think I, I think I lost Andre <clears throat> Hopefully we will get him back in a second. So I got from here from Daniel. It was the plan all along to bring us back 
to the Garden of Eden. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really important point to make, Daniel. I think uh, you know after you've kind of gone through the Bible, you know, two or three, four or five, six times, you know, kind of reading it all through, you st- you know, you can start to think, uh, you can start, you can begin to realize how that stuff in the beginning is kind of is intimately connected with everything else you're going to learn as you as you move forward into uh, the rest of the text. It's something that, you know, it's it's there. Uh, it's not just some beginning strange material in the beginning for us just to, to walk away and forget about. It's something that, you know, it's it's very integral and it's everything for the rest of the story. Every Everything else in the Bible is kind of there in Genesis 1, chapters 1 through 11. Uh, yes, the intention was always to bring us back to that Eden ideal um living in harmony with God all times. Yep, absolutely. Second question I have while I'm waiting for uh, hopefully Andre to come back. Otherwise, I'll just I'll throw these out there into the universe and you guys can think about that. Is, is this important for people to understand when compared to the standard atonement theology or a heaven-hell theology? So is that something that, you know, is important, something that you think people should know. Um, I do, obviously. <laughs> I think it's something that is important, something that we should always uh, remember as as we're doing all this stuff. And the final question I have here is, how would you go about sharing this with those in your community? What about those outside of your community? So just something to think about as you, as we're going through all of this stuff. All right. So I've been, hold on one second. All right, cool. So all right, so we will move on. So Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 13, right? Paul's mini biography. Uh, just recall a few things. <clears throat> so yeah, sorry. Ephesians three. So now we've come out of the center, right? We've we've reached the top of the mountain or the top of the temple, however you want to think about it, right? <clears throat> Daniel saying we have to share it with everyone. Yes, Daniel, absolutely. Uh, so Ephesians three, right? Verses one through thirteen. So now we're on the other side of the chiastic structure of chapters one through three, right? We've just come out of the center. We've had our apocalypse up on the mountain. Uh, We've seen Jesus. We've seen the hostility die uh, between the nations and the Jews. We've seen this new way of living. We've seen the now and the not yet kind of coming together, this present reality that we get to live into until Jesus comes and restores all things, right? And so on on the tail end of that, we have another story. We have Paul's mini biography, uh, and we want to think about rhetoric back from um, our first, when we were doing some of our intros to Paul, we want to think about self-construction, right? You want to be thinking about why did Paul kind of put this stuff here? And, you know, if you think about it, you know, back in the day, uh, if somebody said, hey, by the way, I'm in prison, uh, that wasn't something that was looked on like, hey, this this is great. This is a great thing. So if you're a leader, if you're a teacher, 
uh, when if it was suddenly discovered that you are, uh, you know, in prison, right? That's not something that's great. So if I had a teacher, uh, and you know, I was very proud of that teacher, and then I found out that he was in prison, I would maybe stop telling people, hey, you know, there may be some distancing off between me and that person. Um, and in Paul's day, it was the same. In Paul's day, it was not a really good thing to be in prison, just like it is today. So he kind of puts his own little narrative spin on that. And another thing I wanted to point out to you guys, kind of the logical progression of the story, right? Narrative one was the cosmic POV of humanity and the powers, as we've talked about at length in different episodes. Uh, narrative two focuses in on the covenant people of God, the one chosen out the many, right? So that blessing, that original blessing that was meant to be for all humanity could be restored to the nations, right? Israel and the nations, uh, these different tribes. And narrative three becomes very, very individual, right? It's on the level of Paul. This is what's going on with Paul right now. Uh, and it's something to think about. So let's read it all together. Uh, and then we will, we will get into it. So let's do it. So Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse one, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. And it looks like we got my man Andre back. I bet his phone died. Let's find out. Did your phone die? <laughs> can't hear you oh man yeah i can't hear you buddy <laughs> okay can you hear me now yes i can yes i can you doing you, you okay over there okay <laughs> yeah my my phone my phone got too hot oh so when it got too hot it had to it closed down my apps so it's like oh dang so I had to wait yeah, till it cooled yeah. off. Technology, people. Glad you guys are along for the ride. <laughs> All right, cool. To catch you up then, we were, we're diving into Ephesians 3. We're leaving the center behind. 
Uh, we're talking about Paul's narrative where he kind of gives his, his little mini biography. We kind of went over this a little bit when we first got to the letter. Um, just, you know, kind of pointing out some interesting things. You know, Paul, he goes from the cosmic perspective where it's humanity and the powers. He goes to the covenant people of God, right? These different tribes, different families. Um, and then he kind of goes down to the individual level in this final narrative. Um, you know, it's very, it's very personal. And I think that kind of almost mirrors as well uh, the way, you know, you can really conceive of the whole human condition, the whole story of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11. It gets very cosmic. It kind of drills down to the covenant family of God, right? Kind of that unbroken narrative from Genesis 12 all the way to the end of Second Kings, right? And then, you know, it gets very personal with Paul. And I just, I think that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting to me, you know, just the layers of Paul, how he kind of just, he, he just has the story of the Hebrew scriptures so hot wired into his brain that, you know, him and the people that helped him write this, it's just, it's just coming out of them, which I, I think is really cool. So we just read together Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. Uh, so Paul it, seemingly about to go into a prayer, right? Kind of like breaks off for a second. It's like, hey, did you guys hear that I'm a prisoner? You know, kind of assuming that you've heard. Uh, and he's using that rhetoric that we kind of talked about uh, a few minutes ago to kind of reframe what it means to be a prisoner, you know? So he takes that self-construction and he kind of does like a narrative spin, right? We would call this maybe today like propaganda. Uh, you know, I know propaganda is a very dirty word for many people, but it is an art. Uh, you know, you could also call it marketing. It's basically the same thing. Uh, and, you know, Paul is kind of spinning this like, no, 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 no. This looks like you know, all these terrible things have happened to me that you have reason to have a lot of shame in me. It's very shameful that I'm a prisoner. And he kind of flips that and he kind of highlights God's grace, which is a form of a power uh, that it's really a triumph in the Messiah, kind of the upside side down logic of the kingdom is that even these things that are supposed to produce shame that are supposed to produce, you know, hardship can somehow be spun around by God and be used for his glory uh, and he used in very, very powerful ways. It's, it's to Paul's glory and to his, uh, you know, his people's glory, the people who were following him, um, you know, in those churches in that in the valley that we kind of talked about when we first got into all this, that Lystra Valley, that encyclical letter that we, is the most probable, uh, you know, outcome of what the letter of Ephesians once was. So in verses two to seven in chapter three, Right. Paul starts talking about the mystery. Right. This mystery has been revealed. And it is funny because, you know, mystery doesn't necessarily mean uh, what it used to mean. Right. That that word that we translate as mystery. Mystery kind of meant like, yeah, yes, it was once hidden, but now it's understood. So maybe a better translation would be God's open secret that's been revealed right through this revelation, this apocalypse that Paul had that humanity is now united in the, in the Messiah. And this was not made known to previous generations. So Paul's kind of making this point that this wasn't something that, that was understood. Um, you know, in the church tradition that I come from, uh, we were always, we were always taught, told to be a Berean, right. From a story in Acts where there was these Bereans who were more noble than the Thessalonians because they studied their scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. 
you know, and that would be kind of through the going through the studies that everyone went through in my church tradition to kind of be like, okay, do I want to be a member of this? But, you know, really understanding this, this open secret, uh, it was something that, you know, when Jesus talks about the scriptures, think about on the road to Emmaus with, you know, the two disciples that were all sad. When Jesus looks at the scriptures, he's like, everything that was written in these scriptures was written about me. So in a sense, it's like this open secret where it was all there. It was all there, but it took actually seeing Jesus, seeing what he did to be able to fit all of those pieces together. And to Paul, this is what you could call like the apocalyptic insight. This is something that even though all the pieces were there, you really couldn't understand it until kind of that cover was taken away. The lights were switched on and you could kind of see God's open secret play out and the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Um, you know, and once you see it, it's hard to unsee it, but it was something that when people were reading, uh, their, their Hebrew scriptures, right. Or just, they would call the scriptures, right. The Torah, the prophets and the writings, this wasn't something that was, would have jumped out at them. They were, they were coming to different conclusions than what Paul, uh, you know, when he had his apocalypse is trying to spell out for us. So in 8 through 13, he calls himself the least of all holy ones, least of all the saints, least qualified. Uh, you know, and his mission, he talks about how it has two parts. The first part, 3.8b, to travel and share the good news with as many people as possible. As the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul was going out there. He wanted everyone to knew that, know this, not just the Jew, but first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Second, to bring light. Right, we have this apocalyptic ima- imagination again, open secret of the Creator God, right? Creating a new humanity, no longer a space to uh, you know spiritual, earthly powers, all of these dividing forces, uh, seeking to divide us and conquer us, uh, but they, they've all been defeated. There's this new way of living that's been opened up by life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we get to be a part of it, um, and you know God's wisdom talks about God's wisdom here, which it seems crazy, right? The crucified Messiah announced by a prisoner who's talking about this crucified Messiah who's overthrown the power somehow in his death, somehow when it seems like everything has been destroyed, everything's gone the most terrible way possible. No, that's the moment of victory. Uh, You know, these powers have been overthrown and, you know, it, it can seem crazy. In verses 11 through 13, you know, Paul's imprisonment is seen as not shameful, right? Upside down logic of the kingdom, a sign of the power of the good to challenge the power, the good news to challenge the powers. Uh, Paul's low position highlights God's power in defeating the powers. Think of how David's small size and low social status highlighted God's power or honor in defeating Goliath. It's, it's the same type of thing here. It's these patterns that it repeat. Jesus' death, this moment where you feel like all hope is lost. Uh, wow, Jesus was powerless. You know, he was somehow killed. Uh, that actually highlights God's power by, at that moment, overthrowing these powers that were keeping humanity apart. Uh, you know, so just keep that in mind as you read this, that, you know, Paul is using rhetoric. He is using, you know, self-construction. I think as a critical reader, you want to be, re- you want to be reading this. You want to be like, do, do I buy this? <laughs> is Paul's story here 
compelling. I think that's something important for us all to think as we kind of go through this, you know, like just be being good readers of Paul. Right. So that's the second narrative we want to kind of fly through here so we can kind of get to everything we want to do today. So we had the third narrative, which was kind of Paul's mini biography. And then quickly together, we have the prayer and the song because they kind of make their own thing there. Uh, links back to Ephesians 1 through, th- 1 through 3 in some interesting ways. Uh, first, it can be taken on its own, which we're going to do. And then as a larger whole, it kind of echoes a lot of things that's come before it in chapters 1 through 3, which we will we will look at it. All right. So let's read that together in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And we'll just we'll just go to the end. We'll read the whole we'll read the whole thing. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So Paul finally gets back to his prayer, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So when you start understanding more about the powers and understanding about the holy ones, right? Holy ones could mean Israel when they're at their best, and it can also mean spiritual beings that haven't not rebelled against God. A statement like this makes more sense. This isn't believers in heaven, right? Boogieing down, having a party. These are actual spiritual entities uh, that, you know, that have remained loyal to God and are still part of his family. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray to you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints or holy ones to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Then we kind of get into Paul's song of praise. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In most Bibles, that will just be a paragraph break, but that you know that kind of should be segmented out like a line of prose. Because that is, in fact, a song. So Paul prays for the children of God, right? Both heavenly, loyal, cosmic powers and the earthly Jew plus Gentiles. Okay, that's something important to read, right? I think, you know, importing uh, the worldview that most Christians would think, I think most most of Christianity would think, and most people outside of Christianity that just think, oh, I know what Christianity is, that Paul has in his head, we're thinking of, you know, the whole point of Christianity is so we can go to heaven, right? So it can very easily seem, oh, this is obviously what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about my family in heaven, my homies that I'm going to see uh, after I die and I'm a believing Christian, I'm going to get to heaven. Uh, but, you know, no, he's talking about, you know, these things, these powers, these loyal forces and earthly Jew plus Gentiles. Um, so it's a very, it's a very interesting thing for us to look at. And, you know, in it, in this, in this prayer, Paul's kind of making two requests. The first request is that God gives this power that they're able to have this inner transformation. And it's something that will happen deep inside. Uh, again, if you're thinking about, you know, having this apocalypse, this is an apocalypse Paul expects you to have once. This is something that Paul expects you to go through again and again and again. Something that kind of just transforms you every time you think about it. 
You always walk away from it changed. Uh, and Paul is praying uh, for that God-given power that you will have that inner transformation. Um, and that the Messiah will take up residence, right, continually in your hearts. That will learn to love and serve each other. So again, this idea, this prayer that the Spirit, right, the Messiah will actually literally come and take residence, not necessarily in my heart, but, you know, I think that's accurate too. But I think Paul's point here is corporately together. And when we come together as a community that gives honor to God, honor to Jesus, honor to the Messiah, that God rests somehow in there. And the second request, right, is this power presence, right? Grasp the cosmic scope of the Messiah's love. Two, experience the Messiah's love that's beyond comprehension. So this idea of this ever-widening expanse of comprehension, where you're just understanding how all this fits together, how this changes everything, how to be a better human being, how to live into the not yet, because we're still living the now, right? This age is still ending, but we get to live into the second age, the age to come as if it's already happened, because it has when Jesus came back. Uh, the result that Paul is hoping for is that God's own life fills them onto the fullness of God. And he kind of ends with a song of praise, right? Praises God, that power to do more than what we can imagine or conceive of, power to work in the Messiah's people to create this new humanity for his church, right? Ecclesia, you know, thinking about that, that group of people who are together. So that is kind of like on the face of it, what we're looking at. And then for the sake of time, I might skip some of these things. Uh, but these these are, again, these charts, uh, I kind of just reproduced them for you guys here. It was from a class that I did um, with the Bible Project. It's, you know, open source. You can go and take it yourself, get this resource, the whole thing. And it kind of lists, which I think is very interesting, how... Verses 14 to 21, while they have a life on their own, they are also echoing back uh, things that have, Paul has already talked about. So Paul does a really great job of kind of just laying a whole bunch of stuff on the table, right? And that's kind of what he did in his letter to the Ephesians. He kind of laid a whole bunch of concepts, laid a whole bunch of ideas on the table, and then kind of what he's going to be doing as we're responding to the apocalypse coming into four through six is he's going to pick up these various these various lines of thinking, and he's going to examine them more closely. And you can really see him start to do this at the, kind of the ending of this first major chunk where he has a whole bunch of these concepts and he kind of, you know, starts going through it. So I'll just look at the first one with you guys. Maybe we'll do a few more. We'll see how it goes. Uh, the United Heaven and Earth and all its human and spiritual inhabitants derive from the Creator God, right? So in 14 through 15, I kneel before the Father, from whom every heavenly and earthly realms get its name, gets its name. And you can kind of go back and you can look for those threads, look for those thoughts echoed in the rest of chapters one through three, chapter one, 10 through 11, God's purpose to head up all things together in Messiah, things in heaven and things on earth. Remember the idea Paul has in his head is not a, a bunch of happy people in heaven clapping, right? What he's thinking is he's thinking of, he's thinking of the powers, He's thinking of the human family on earth, the spiritual family in heaven or the spiritual beings, right? One, 20 through 21. God raised the Messiah from among the dead ones 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name which is named. We did a little bit of a deep dive last week, although we could have went much deeper on the powers. And it's, you know, the same type of stuff that we're hearing here in the heavenly realm, uh, above all these powers, authority and dominion, uh, every name which is named. And then finally in verse two, and sorry, in chapter two, verse six, and God raised us with the Messiah and seated us in the heavenly realm. So it's the same type of idea, right? Jesus is enthroned in heaven, right? In the heavenly realms. And somehow we are there as well. We think through the now and the not yet, the coming together of heaven and earth. Eventually, you know, God will come down here. That's kind of the hope of the scriptures, but that's, that's another class. Um, and you can kind of go through here and you can kind of see all of these ways that Paul, even in his final like thoughts in this first major chunk, the first half of the letter as we're ending it, he's kind of echoing back to a lot of things that he's already talked about before. We'll do, we'll do God's new temple because uh, that's an important one. House that is being built according to the house plan as a place for God to dwell in verse 317. So the Messiah can dwell in all of your hearts through trust, right? 110, the arranged house plan of the fulfillment of the times to head up all things together in Messiah. Chapter 2, 19 through 22. You all are fellow citizens of the Holy Ones and members of God's house, God's house, the temple, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the Messiah Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the entire building is fitted together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom all of you are being built together into a dwelling place, temple language, right, of God by the Spirit. 310, the arranged house plan of the open secret that is now the multifaceted wisdom of God's might be that's being made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. Uh, there is this open secret. If you understood the way all the pieces fit together, you would have been able to see what God was doing, but no one really did until, you know, Jesus came and we got to see it take place. <clears throat> all right. So we're going to have a quick discussion and then we will move on. Um, so we have just had the apocalypse. We've just finished chapters one through three and are now moving into responding to this apocalypse. So in summary, one through three, Jesus suffering. Jesus is the suffering and exalted Messiah of Israel, fulfills God's calling for Israel and all humanity. Remember the story of Israel has always been the story of all of humanity, unique I would say in the ancient world, in the ancient scriptures, in the ancient myths and legends that we have, that a people group would have cared so much about other people. Uh, <clears throat> new humanity, which gets to share in the death, resurrection, and rule. This opens up a whole new way of life and new opportunity to love and serve others to unite humanity. So let's talk about individually. Individually. What does this mean for you individually? How can you live in this new apocalyptic reality? What evidence of an apocalypse would such a life produce? So what do you think, Andre? What do you think this means for us individually as people? Um, hmm, that's a good question. 
Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, what do I want to say? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, like, in some way, I don't know, I think, I mean, I think it's cool because, I, I think, I don't know, I feel like, well, I think in general, I think it's, like, a cool story because it's almost like if anything, this is probably like one of the most like I don't know, I feel like unifying stories to ever like hear about because it just seems like you know I don't know, like if you if if you ever thought like okay, like there's like some hostility or there's like some you know, people get along like this is a chance for like you know every person to kind of like you know like join together and I don't know be and, and just be at peace just be at peace with one another um, yeah. yeah you know and I don't know like that's that's pretty cool like you look at it and it's like it's not necessarily really yeah, it's not really necessarily like a scary kind of like story. Like it's like it's just yeah, mm-hmm. it's like everybody can just like everybody's welcome to like it. Everybody's like just walk like they're welcome to like. It's so interesting. I don't know. Like I, I sure. feel like it's like it. It's because like um, I feel like when you usually think about the Jesus. Jesus story, like it's almost like the the perspective. I think is like you know, okay, everybody better come up under this one rule in Jesus, or or else you know, like mm. you're gonna yeah. get it or something like that. But it kind of seems like this story is not really like saying that. Like it's not saying like the point of the story wasn't necessarily even to be exclusionary. Like it's like. You know, like God is really trying to like, like just put everybody under the same roof, under the same house to just be this like one giant, you know, like this one giant family. Um, uh, it, and it's it's just weird. Like it almost seems like it almost seems like there really shouldn't be. I don't know like any arguments or any fights about hmm. I don't know, like this like Jesus story just because like it just seems like we're trying to like unite and bring people under the same roof. You know? Yeah. I don't know, like you can just get along with everybody in this like boy, at least like you should be able to get along. Should, right? This thing, you know? Yeah. So yeah, um, I don't know if that actually answers the question though. But uh, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, no, it's good. I think it's it's you know all all right answers. We're not necessarily looking for. I think when we talk about these things, we shouldn't necessarily be looking for. Okay, this is the right answer I'm going to have, you know, for the rest of my life, kind of thing. Like you know, it's just kind of just thinking it through. 
you know, and, and as you're, as you're speaking, I think, you know, it is very interesting because I think, um, you know, the kind of the abbreviated version of what like we often assume Paul's story is about what the story of Christianity is about heaven and hell. Uh, it, it very, it kind of puts people into camps. Like we're, I don't know if this is necessarily the intention of it, but it's either you're in or you're out, right? You're either going to heaven mm-hmm. or you're going to hell. Yeah. This story seems more about, no, you don't have to live in these different camps anymore. You get to be this one new humanity that was the original intention of the whole thing from the beginning, you know? So, yeah, as you're speaking, I'm like, yeah, that's that's really resonating with me too because it, it shouldn't all be about whose church is best, who has the right doctrine necessarily, who has the best denomination, you know, cause I'm sure everyone thinks they're great, <laughs> you yeah. know, you yeah. know, unless something, you know, has happened to you in your church tradition that's made it not so great. But I think, you know, if you haven't had any of those experiences, like some of the best memories of my life happened in my, my former tradition, you know? Uh, so it's, it's just interesting that Paul is kind of calling us to like, look past that. Like, how can we look past that? and kind of be a family, even if there are things that we don't agree on. Yeah. You know, so my second question is corporately. So, you know, I think a lot of times we tend to read Ephesians as, you know, you, it's all about about me. Right. And then we realize that the you is really you all or y'all. Right. So what does this mean for a community or a church? This kind of leads us nicely into the question, how can and should, we live into this new apocalyptic reality. What evidence has there been for how the church has been doing in this regard? So kind of, if you think about the broad strokes of church history, uh, you know, maybe lately church history, your own church history, how do you feel like the church has been doing in this sense? Hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, one thought before I like forget it, I gotta say it before I forget it. Uh, I I feel like it's like interesting. I was kind of just thinking about like a family, like just imagine like, you know, just a normal family, got a mom, a dad, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. it's a brother or sister, you know, you got like this like family. And I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's an interesting thing. Cause like, I feel like if you were like a parent, you know, and, like, you loved your, like, children, like, I'm not that concerned, like, I'm not that concerned about, like, do my children believe all the right things, and do my children believe all the right facts, like, I just kind of want to be with my children, like, like, Mm. regardless of, like, what my children, like, necessarily, you know, like, believe, you know, of course, like your children are going to grow up and mature and you can still like teach your children. But it's like I'm not that concerned about like my children better have all the right facts or some or the beliefs. Yeah. It's like it's more so like I just love them and I, I accept them. They're OK. Like they're they're a part of this family. And. Uh, and I think like. I just think it's interesting, like, how, like, I think as humans, like, I think we can, like, recognize that, like, with a normal family. But then when it comes to God, we'll be like, 
well, with God, it's different. But then it's like, are we better than God? Like, I don't, hmm. you know, like, in a sense, more so like, uh, I mean, if humans are capable of showing like this type of love where it's like you can accept somebody into like a family and they don't have like all the right facts or whatever, but you can still say like, hey, like, you know, like, but I, I'll st- I still like accept you and you're welcome and I love you and I know you don't got you don't know everything, but like you can still be a part of the family. I'm just kind of thinking like, you know, like if humans can do that, can't God do that too? But I don't think like people think God can do that because like maybe it's because like just a story you're kind of handed down, hmm. which is like you know God is like very like strict and like you know like he wants you to believe like you you must believe in Jesus or you know, or you must believe everything about Jesus or whatever it is. Like you must believe these things because if you don't, you have no place here or whatever, you know? So unless you, unless you get the right thing, then, right. you know, you're not a part of the family. So I, I think that's kind of like weird. Cause I'm like, well, surely, you know, like if humans can show like love, then like that, like God can too. And it just kind of reminds me of like the uh, that part where Jesus was talking about, you know, like, hey, like if you can give good gifts, you know, to your children and you're evil, then, you know, how much more can your heavenly father will give you good gifts? And it, it's just kind of like a, yeah. it's just kind of like, well, surely God must be greater than the love that we can give. He's like the ultimate source of it. So it's like. Is I think there's like a disconnect that like we can kind of like have. So I don't know. That's some that I ha- it was a thought I had in my head. There's something I was listening to earlier, and just like yeah, like that's like a good. I think that's kind of like a good point. But uh, I think besides like that point though, like if I had to say like how like. Uh, I guess like the church is doing like, yeah, I probably would say, I don't know. I feel like it's like interesting, I guess. Like, Mm. I think it's just a lot of, I mean, I don't want to say like, it's like terrible or anything, but like, you know, like, I just think it's like very, I mean, obviously like it's a divided thing. Like there's so many kind of like denominations, like, you know, and everybody has to like, you know, who, you know, kind of like whose side, you know, like you're on, like, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's kind of like contrary to like this, like new humanity, yeah. you know, new humanity thing. Like it's too, it's too focused on like, it's too focused on like everybody, like, you know, like, I don't know, it's too, yeah, it's too focused on everybody, like, just being, like, like, having, like, this right kind of, like, thing, you know, and so, like, but I I feel like until, like, until we, like, stop doing that, I don't think it's ever going to be, like, united, you know what I mean, like, it's a, I don't know, it's, it's, like, really, it's like, yeah, I feel like it's like, it's yeah. just really, it's just really kind of like tough, you know, to like, you know, 
like try to especially I think like trying to be like a part like trying to be like a part of it I think is like it's like um yeah I feel like I feel like it's like you 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 want to be like a part like I don't know like the ultimate goal I think is like yeah we want every like the whole thing to be like one body we want to be like all united but I do think it's hard to be like a part of it though like like for me it's like of course like I want to be a part of it but I do find it hard to be around you know like you know like yeah I don't know maybe it's just hard to be a part of something where you might disagree like with it like yeah I want to like I want to help but like at the same time like you know it's it's like yeah it's kind of hard when I I can't get behind Mm -hmm. like something that you know, like I disagree, which, yeah. So, yeah. No, I hear you. Dan- Daniel has some good stuff on the chat. He's saying, uh, uh, be the light on a hill to show all humanity about the transformation and uh, love God, love people, which, I, you know, that kind of, you know, that's what Jesus would say. All the, you know, the law and the prophets hang on right there, the Torah and the prophets. Um, but, you know, for me, I'll just say this like in brief and, th- and then we'll move on. Like it, it's something that I've been wrestling with too. Cause I feel like I've been hearing from a lot of teachers uh, that I respect, you know, it's enough for me just to worry about myself and my family and just trying to be a good person to the people in my, in my neighborhood. And I think that's all fine and well when we take, when we take the position that, okay, like we, we just got here, like, you know, the tradition I'm a part, I'm, I'm a part of, you know, I think it started in like the 90s. It, it branched off a tradition that started in, you know, the early 1900s, you know. So in some ways, it's like we just got here, right? And then, you know, I think, you know, anyone can go and start a church and, you know, or if they just get to Christianity, just feel like I'm just, I've just got here. I'm ready to go off and, you know, convert some people or tell some people about this. But it does make me wonder, like, you know, as as the new humanity, should we be doing should we be doing something more to bring people in more to these conversations? You know, like people that don't want anything with church, people who have been damaged by church, people in different denominations, just bring it all together. Like we don't have to necessarily agree on everything. Uh, but is, is there a way that we can, we can still function as a family? Cause I don't, I don't agree with everything in my family. Right. Um, that doesn't make me not a part of my family, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, on, yeah. on giving, I just don't get to say, okay, uh, I'm going to go eat a turkey by myself. Thank you very much. Cause you know, yeah. I agree with you guys on, you know, like who's bringing the sides or what soccer team is the best. I mean, we all kind of agree because we all have to like Peru cause you know, I'm married to a Peruvian. So Peru go Peru. They're playing tonight after, after this call. Um, but you know, it's just, just something to think about that I've been wrestling with is like, is it enough for me just to focus on just me and and my world? If I am part of this larger family, should there be something where we're trying to move closer together, maybe doing stuff with each other, uh, you know, being in groups necessarily where I don't necessarily agree with everybody, but maybe we can still be in dialogue. So it's some, I I haven't like landed one way or the other, uh, but it's just something that, you know, I think about Eli and his sons, how he failed to restrain his sons, and that was his sin. 
you know, and that's, you know, that's kind of like a, a common motif that's kind of repeated in the, in the old Testament of, you know, Israel not being that light to the nations that it was supposed to be and kind of focusing on fighting each other, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, how are we doing any different, you know? And, uh, well, we're supposed to be different. Right. So how, how does yeah. that work? You know? And, uh, I remember, you know, N.T. Wright was saying on one interview that he, he was talking about, someone was asking him about the Pentecostal movement, you know, speaking in tongues. He's an Anglican bishop, uh, you know, not something that you 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 find in many Anglican services. That was sarcasm. You find in no Anglican ser- services, people speaking in tongues, but that he was like, you know, they're, they're still, they're still God's family. You know, I, I can't just because I, that's not a part of my regular experience of God. I can't. I can't look down on them or say that, you know, like what they're experiencing isn't real. And I just thought that was, that was very challenging to me. Cause you know, I think I, I've been a person who have, I've often looked at Pentecostals and been like, they're, they're just crazy. Like, you know, I don't get that speaking in tongue stuff. And that, that's just, you know, confessing my own, uh, you know, prejudice there. But I think so, coming out of that, I'm like, well, how is there a place at the table for everybody? And, you know, just because I don't have an experience of it doesn't make it crazy. It, you know, it just makes it different. And, but we're all worshiping the same God and how can we come together? So interesting yeah. thoughts, my friend, interesting thoughts. So did you have something else to say along that? Um, I want to cut you off. Um, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I think that was it. Yeah. I was just going to mention like, you kind of said it, but yeah, that like, I might not agree with everybody. Like, right at dinner like a dinner at a table and it's like clearly everybody at your family doesn't agree with the same thing that doesn't make you not mother father brother and sister because you don't all agree on the same thing i i just feel like that's like the real point to kind of like if we can just grasp that like we can just eat and celebrate with people and they don't believe the same thing and yeah i don't know like that sounds cool you know yeah yeah it does it does. It's it's a world that I hope I hope to live in, you know, and I uh, hope to be a part of it. Uh, so Ephesians four through six, we're turning the corner. Therefore, in uh, chapter four, verse one, so we, you know, it's kind of like the whole book kind of pivots in light of the apocalypse we've just had one through three. What is the appropriate response to having this apocalypse? So you can kind of look at the chiastic structure here. Uh, this is something that you would call like a bookend structure. So you have like these two blocks on either ends, similar ideas. Uh, you know, coincidentally, it's it's unity, right? The first major block is, you know, talking about the unity of the new humanity. And the last major block is fighting for that unity, you know? And in the middle, kind of in between these two bookends, we have a set three sets of two opposing forces. You know, you're almost kind of looking at again, the same thing from different points of view. Uh, You know, you have the old versus new humanity. You have the dark versus the light and you have the foolish versus the wise, some type of forces where you can think about rebel powers, uh, you know, both earthly forces and heavenly forces trying to keep us all apart, keep the whole thing separate keep us into these warring factions uh, that's that's still trying to resist this. So this idea that, yes, Jesus has defeated them uh, and he's he's overthrown them and what happened on the cross, putting to death that hostility, demonstrating to the powers 
uh, the wisdom of God, but that they're somehow still here. You know, they're still here. They still are alive and well in some ways, although the power has been lessened and the ultimate victory has kind of been announced ahead of time. Um, you know, living in the now and the not yet, remembering our two, two ages diagram, right? So chapter four through six, and this is something that, you know, I think is very, very important. We might actually end our, our, our kind of like our class today on this as we're kind of getting near to the eight o'clock hour. Um, everything we read in chapter four through six has to be read in the light of what we just read in chapters one through three. Okay, Paul has just given us a lens through which everything in four through six must be interpreted. That's something very, very important. Uh, if you want to be a good neighbor to Paul, if you want to lo love Paul the way you yourself would want to be loved, you would not want to be taken out of context. You would not want to be misunderstood, especially when someone has just spent three whole chapters kind of explaining to you, right? And then we still have Paul's source here, the 80% of the Bible that, you know, commonly referred to the, as the Old Testament, but the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the law, the right, the Torah, the prophets and the writings. It's all, it's all right here. Um, that's Paul's context. So we have to remember, we have to study Paul in his own terms. Um, as potential to teach us how to read the rest of the Bible. You know, one of the things I, I initially, you know, I used to not really like reading Paul, especially when I started getting into reading large chunk, chunks of scripture, because I didn't understand the brilliance of what he was doing. It was only, I think, after like four or five or six passes where the stories of those narratives, those great narratives, right, all the way from Genesis 1 to the end of 2 Kings started to really get into my brain that I really realized all the amazing stuff that Paul was doing. And then it took, you know, other teachers much, much smarter than me uh, to kind of point some of this stuff out where I realized that like, wow, what Paul is doing here is genius stuff. And, you know, I think you can really do this with any book of the Bible because any book of the Bible is very, very interconnected or hyperlinked as the Bible project likes to say. Right. And Paul can teach us a lot, even about how to read the rest of the Bible that, you know, most Christians kind of, we don't know what to do with this weird stuff in there. And we kind of just want to move past it, get us to the Jesus stuff, right? Paul informs us how to think and how to respond to Jesus in light of the Hebrew scriptures, right? He has that kind of dichotomy, the Torah as commands and decrees, right? And the Torah as wisdom literature, which he talks about in second Timothy three 15, you know, how Paul applied this gospel to his own time informs how we should apply the gospel in our times. And a, a cautionary tale there is that, you know, Paul was not trying to create a culture that would exist for all time and all space, right? He, you know, Paul, in a sense, you know, I think we, we've kind of cast them in the light as, as the master church builder. And, you know, to be a, a proper New Testament church, we just need to read Paul read the scriptures and just do what it says. So even if we don't understand it, it doesn't make sense in, in our life, in our context, we just, we just need to do it. Right. And then you get, you know, various denominations with different practices kind of off of a line of Paul here, a line of Paul there. I think a more mature way of reading Paul, a way I think Paul, if he knew that he was still being read, you know, 2000 years later, uh, his mail, not even anything he wrote down for, you know, for all time, right? This is just his mail. Uh, I think 
Paul would be more happy if, if we read him, right? And we understood, we, we learned from the way he took the gospel and he applied it to a historical cultural context that no longer exists, right? Kind of some of those lessons there and how we and how we should be reading Paul is learning from that. How are we applying to the gospel to our own times, our own historical cultural moment that we live in, right? Because that's the way the Bible was always kind of supposed to supposed to function. Uh, so just something to think about there as we kind of go through uh, this four through six, we get our macro view of, you know, now we're going to respond to the apocalypse. Uh, I think that is the appropriate response that Paul would want us to have uh, in doing all this is thinking about, well, how are we going to take these gospel messages? And it's not enough just to have an apocalypse. And I think this is what kind of like gets me, gets me like, I think upset is too strong of a word, but kind of like where I kind of go off the rails, I think with a lot of like modern Christianity is that it's not just about, it's not just about you. It's not just about the scriptures hitting you and you having an experience. I think that's important. We need that. We need to have the mystical experience. We need to have the apocalypse. We need to have that experience of God in his scriptures and in prayer, right? And meditation. But I think with that, we also have to, we have to leave that. And then we have to go do something into the world. We have to speak into the world. We have to act into the world. We have to have some type of response, right? And I think if you haven't had a response, you know, that's, it's, you know, where you're not acting in the world, you're not doing good into the world, you know, it's, it's a good opportunity to go back and do some more, you know, work on that to, uh, you know, consider all that stuff. So we're going to quickly discuss this. So we have our macro structure here. I'm not going to spend a whole mu- a lot of time on going over the macro structure. We're kind of just going to get into next week, hopefully closing us out. We'll hit all of these different points, four through six. We might even just go through, okay, here are some of the, here are some of the hot topics. You know, we might not, we might not do a, a deep dive into chapters four through six. We might just look at some of the, the highlights. But in our discussion, you know, consider that hostility that we talked about, we got to, you know, chapters one through three, when we had that apocalypse dying on the cross, uh, this idea is Torah as commands and decrees versus the Torah as wisdom literature. It almost looks like the same thing you used or viewed in two different ways has like two different effects. So I could take my Bible and I could, I could say, okay, the B I B L E basic instructions before leaving earth, like that Wu Tang song, right. Or that Christian hymn, Right. And I can take that and I can make that about very much about, well, how do I need to live? How, how does, how should everyone else be living? What, what do people need to do? What, what do I need to tell people to do? How can I protect them? Right. Or Torah as wisdom literature, which I think wisdom literature is more, it's, you're supposed to read it. You're supposed to look for problems. Things should be hitting you. Like that, that doesn't make sense to me. You think about it, you chew on it, you meditate on it. And then eventually, as you make space for this wisdom literature in your life, it should eventually, you know, affect you, you know. I think it's important to consider the whole letter, right, plus Paul's context, as we kind of talked about, the Tanakh, right, the Torah, prophets, and writings, his historical cultural context, which no longer exists, uh, when reading Paul. Uh, and so it's it's the same type of thing. I think you can you can go into your Bible and you can look at it as one way. This is, this is, these are rules I need to follow. Uh, you know, remember how, you know, Jesus kind of dealt with the Pharisees when he, 
encountered people who dealt with the scriptures that way? Or is there another option? Is there another way to be looking at this stuff where it's not so black and white, it's wisdom literature, and it's supposed to make me think? So questions, a few questions I have. First one is, is it possible to get anything meaningful from Paul when not taking into his account his entire context? So kind of just pulling a, a verse out here uh, and there. What do you think, Andre? Um, hmm. I mean, I guess it can work. I mean, that's kind of like how I was like taught to do it. So like, yeah. I guess it, I guess it works. Like I could just read a verse about, I don't know, don't lie or don't be lazy or something like that, you know? And it's like, I guess like, right. Like you could just read it like that, but like, and that's easier. And it seems like that's the way we just naturally think is like something to just kind of like tell us like what to do, you know, like, yeah, that's easier. And I, I think when you already got that mindset about religion anyways, in general, like religion is supposed to like tell you like what to do or like God gives you the commands from like on high and you follow these things. And I think like, yeah, like, I don't know, like, yeah, like it, it makes like a lot of sense. So, I mean, you could get something out of it, but like, I don't know if it's beneficial in the long run though. Like, yeah, you know, after, after everything that I learned to this point in time, like, yeah, like, I don't know if that was really beneficial. Maybe it was helpful to maybe get something started or something, but like, yep, I don't know if it's like really going to like carry you very far, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting you say that, you know, we come from the same church tradition. And I remember, uh, you know, in college, when I, when I first, uh, you know, came in contact with that tradition, uh, I was, I think I was in a place in my life where I was just looking for, I just, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going, needing a lot of guidance. And in, in many ways, it was very, very refreshing for someone to be like, oh, I know what you should do. <laughs> you know, look at this and like, look at this scripture look at that scripture and be like, Oh wow. It's, it's right there. You know, it's, it's right there. It's like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then just being around a group of people who, you know, love to read the Bible. Cause I was, I was kind of like a weird kid too. I was always interested in literature. I was interested in the Bible. Um, you know, grew up Catholic, like, but I was a strange Catholic in the sense that I, I spent more time reading the Bible than like, you know, learning necessarily all the character stuff. All that stuff was great too. You know, Catholicism definitely cares about you being a good human being. I learned a lot of that in Catholic school, uh, but just looking for a lot of answers and being, oh, here you go, here you go. Uh, but I feel like there's a limit to that. There's a limit to that, and uh, I think there is a there's a path that you know it it could end up I think holding people down if that just runs its course and there's nothing next. You know, I was I was telling someone the other day. I almost imagine going to somebody and asking for help with my marriage right now, maybe there's some marital difficulties between me and my wife and like looking for someone to tell me what to do. And they sit me down and they go, well, once upon a time, very, very long time ago, there was this thing. And then this happened and then that happened. And a few hours later, they're still, they're still telling me a story. And I'm like, I, I just need to know what to do, <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, that's not my job. I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you the story. And I think if you make space for the story, it can affect the way you live. And in the long run, uh, 
it'll it will lead you to the answer some of the answers that you seek. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think people do it. Uh, I think there you can get some meaningful things in in like scripture verse theology, but I think when you get to you know some of the deeper questions or actually wanting to you know do more or create a new humanity or be part of a community like that, I think that that has to have that's not really going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my my second question ha- is kind of leads into this. How has taking Paul out of these contexts cause can potentially cause problems in the church? So if we think about scripture verse theology, what are some ways that you feel like that may have caused some problems? Although the certainty in the moment is really refreshing. Uh, you know, I found it very refreshing when I was in my 20s. But in what ways can that cause some problems, do you think? Um, I feel like when it comes to like dealing with like issues today, you know, like, I mean, it can be like women in church or like the LGBTQ thing or like all these like other like issues. It's like typically what everybody does is they do the scripture verse thing, you know, and honestly, it comes from both sides. Like whether you want to say it's the more conservative people or progressive people. It's like both sides are basically doing the same thing, which is why I find it kind of hard to like, I don't know, I find it hard to get behind like either one only because like, you know, they both do the scripture verse thing. I think instead of seeing it from like the whole like story thing, you know, like, and so I think like, that's why again, it's like, okay, it can be helpful. Like, and I think that's one thing too, is like maybe the scripture verse thing is like it's good for like your personal life, I guess, you know, but like if you start thinking more about like you know, like the community thing, and then like when you think about the thing about Paul, like he has like you know, like Paul is trying to live the gospel out like in his own time. Like it's like you can't just like you can't just be like, okay, like there's so many things that have happened since then. So you can't just, you know, pick out a couple of things that Paul said and just be like, well, that's what it means. It's, it's a, it, it was meant to be kind of like this static thing. Like it wasn't ever supposed to change or, or progress at all, you know, like, yeah. it, it. so I think that, that just kind of like, yeah, I think, it's a barrier. It's a barrier to actually like, you know, really helping out with like the different types of like issues today. Like, you know, like, yeah. 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 I think that's it. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. That's great. That's good stuff. I remember too, you know, uh, Daniel just said, you know, taking scripture out of context, which, you know, I think that's, that's really, really cool to, to think about. Um, you know, for me, I was, I would always be like, yeah, I, I take scriptures in context because, you know, I, I would read the scriptures uh, immediately above it and immediately below it. And I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm taking scriptures in context. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can be sure that I know what I'm talking about. And then kind of realizing, whoa, 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 this whole thing is connected. <laughs> taking, taking a scripture in context means like knowing the whole thing or having some familiarity out of it. And even like when you do that, there's always more stuff to find more things to discover 
you know, like it's like impossible in a sense to like know everything, you know, Yeah. I mean, maybe it is, but not for me, you know, at this point in my life, uh, you know, I mean, maybe I could spend the next 10 years kind of memorizing all this or <laughs> that's probably too conservative an estimate, maybe next 20 years. Right. You know, uh, but just the idea of just being more careful, like, you know, landing on a theological position when I think the major themes of the Bible are, are themes of love, themes of inclusion, themes of unity, uh, you know, of forgiveness, grace, God trying to figure out how to get this whole human story back on track. Um, you know, and I think one of the biggest problems of scripture verse theology is that there's always someone else that has their own scripture verse theology. Yeah. Well, they may be better than you, <laughs> you know, at, at, you know, having their facts together. Uh, or you might be better and you feel like, oh, I, I proved them wrong, but you never really affect any change, right? You never really bring the story back together. Um, so cool. Yeah. And do you think that this has the potential to enrich the church? Like kind of learning how to read scriptures like this? And is this something that you feel like is only for like the super Bible nerds? Like only super Bible nerds can can learn how to do this? Or do you feel like this is something that the church in general could, could benefit from everyone kind of learning how to read their Bibles like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I think honestly, I don't know. I know like everybody isn't, yeah, everybody isn't like necessarily like a scholar and stuff like that. Like, you know, so like I get like, you know, I guess everybody doesn't have to really become like a scholar or something, but like, I guess like it would be very helpful, like for everybody to like, really like know these things though. Like, yeah. um, cause you know, you don't want to keep everybody like just doing this, doing the scripture verse thing, like all the time. Like, otherwise I feel like, you know, you, we just kind of stay in the same place if we just keep doing that. So like, I feel like we need to like, I think everybody should like learn this, but like, I mean, like, you know, like, I think a lot of times, like, like a lot of the stuff that I usually learn, like, I'm always like, watch, I did read some books though, but like, you know, a lot of the stuff too, it's like, I watch videos or I like listen to like a lot of things. Cause I think I'm more of a listener. Um, yeah. So even like if, so even if it's like, you know, like, I don't know, like, even if people not super big readers and don't like, uh, like a lot of books, like maybe they can like listen to like some audio stuff, but like, so at least like wh whatever way it is, it's like, I would kind of like hope that, you know, like we, like everybody could understand this. Cause it, you know, like I, it, again, like it's like to get to like this way that Paul thinks, you know what I mean? Um, you know, or to understand this story, I kind of feel like it's like, yeah, you kind of, you kind of need to like, you kind of need to notice. I don't, I don't think there's really a way around it. Like, you know, so, um, yeah. 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 You know, I think it's, it's a challenge too. Cause how do we do, I think even like, you know, Dallas Willard, have you ever listened to any of his stuff? Uh-uh. So he, he was like a, he was a math philosopher, uh, 
professor and then like in his retirement he started like writing spiritual books and they've been like very like influential and kind of looking at christianity like a mathematician would he'd be like listen the the way the system has been constructed it's been constructed to produce certain type of results so i think a lot of ways that we've constructed the way we engage with people is it's like you know the like a four-point sermon or like, you know, mm-hmm. like, like a scripture, you relate up, you relate a story and you make a point and you move on, you know, maybe you have three points like that. Mm-hmm. Is that really the best way to, especially if, you know, I think many people can are starting to agree that like the Bible does need to be read more holistically. Well, how do you do that in a 30 minute sermon? You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where people are coming yeah. in and out of your, your building and they're at, they're at different places. They're you know, like imagine coming in, you know, your first day and, all. you know, you're, we're in the middle of the book of Judges, like where, you know, or the book of Joshua, where some rough stuff is happening, you know. Uh, yeah. So how can we construct something? This is something I'm, I'm very actively interested in. That's kind of why I'm doing stuff like this is trying to figure out what what is a way that we can engage this stuff and do a better job where the result will be producing Christians who like look at the Bible more holistically look at each other and, you know, in a way of like, well, I'm not, not, not to be, it's not about me being right or you being right, but how can we, we come together into this new humanity thing that, you know, we're reading more and more about the scriptures. And so to me, like, you know, this stuff is very, very engaging. Um, You know, I don't know. I don't often have time either to sit down and read a book. So, you know, I tend to do a lot of audio books myself and if I really like it, then I'll, I'll buy the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I hear you. So that's a question that I'm going to kind of leave you guys all with as we're wrapping up here a little bit past eight of just, you know, in what ways can we do church differently in terms of like getting a better result of like really helping people understand their Bibles better and how that should inform their life. Seeing this as wisdom literature, right. You need to sit with versus, you know, just a bunch of rules and things that things that we need to do. Andre, you are awesome. Thanks for being my, I feel like, you know, we, we did a, we co-hosted a podcast here today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, I've heard from a few people. I know, uh, you know, that there's some, some surprise things came up. Daniel Mukoku, shout out to you being a, uh, in the chats, keeping it alive out there and loving these comments that, that you're coming. Hopefully we can get, get you back last week for our next week. Sorry for our final, uh, one of these, as we close out our summer, Andre, you rock my friend, as we always say, adios muchachos. And muchacha. Perfect. <laughs>